somebody back to himself after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And Golden State. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant. And we are back with another edition of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you'd like to join us, you can do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's been a while, but we're back. The first round is over. The first round is over. We got a lot to talk about in a short period of time. Um, first and foremost, big time thank you to all of our supporters for understanding and being patient with us. We are, you know, adjusting to things as everyone else is. But the pandemic starts to, I don't want to say it's going away, but, you know, transitioning to another phase of, I guess, us becoming a healthier country, society, and world, you know, well, starting to open up a little bit bigger. The arenas are, you know, full scale, except for if you were in Toronto. But um, yeah, on my end out here in Florida, it almost like it would never happen. But hey, man, here we are, man. The first round of the playoffs are over. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, C. Green, what's your first takeaway that you wanna you wanna jump into? Um, Minnesota and Memphis. Those are two teams that will be interesting to watch going forward. Anthony Edwards is is legit. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, he's going to be he's, there's going to be moments where he looked good, a moments where he looked terrible. But you know he's a he's a solid number two though. So if Anthony Edwards, I think is going to be their number one. Uh, the biggest thing takeaway is what they do with D'Angelo Russell because I feel like he was supposed to be that third option and. There were times where he was too quiet in those games in that series where they were going, you know, Pat Beverly or some of the other role players were really stepping up because there was times where Russell wasn't even looking for a shot. He was just kind of on the, on the court, happy to be there. And he really wasn't, wasn't facilitating as much either. So it's not like he was really posing a threat. And we know he's not a defensive stopper. So, you know, it's just a matter of um, what they do with him. I mean, I think he's still he, – obviously, he's a good player, you know, a, a former all-star, but in this current role he's at, at being the number three option, some guys, you know, can flourish in that role, some guys can't. And that's one takeaway for them that – that I, I, honestly, Pat Beverly helped. But for Memphis, ooh, they're going to have to pay somebody, and somebody's not going to get paid because Des, Desmond Bain shown that – yeah, Dylan Brooks, you should have never got hurt because I took that role and I ain't giving it back. So, um, and then Brandon Clark, big shout out to him. He was, him and Bain were the X Factors. Definitely Clark because Clark was 
offensive rebounding galore. I think he averaged like six offensive rebounds a game. That's unheard of in a series. You know what I'm saying? Let alone just I mean, but okay. But, yeah, I'm not the biggest Okay. But I mean, okay, but Tristan Thompson was was Tristan Thompson wasn't Tristan Thompson the starter? He wasn't the reserve doing that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Tristan Thompson yeah. was definitely so and again, it's not me trying to take anything away from Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark is phenomenal. You know how I feel about undersized power forwards and how they always seem to pop up out of nowhere and do what he's doing, which yeah. is to be better than everybody, be more athletic, more energetic and capable. And then, you know, over the long term, if they don't develop a game to give them, you know, like an NBA anchor, mm-hmm. they wind up on trick pony, you know, like the yeah. and so on and so forth. So I always enjoy what those type of players bring to the table, but I'm always like sad in advance for where I know it's going to end. You know what I'm saying? Like I see Facts. the rainbow and then I see the other side of the rainbow for this kid. So mm-hmm. shout out to Brandon. He was phenomenal. He was phenomenal, especially in the closeout game. There were a yeah. couple times. Where... But Minnesota's got some issues. And, oh, um, big time. And the primary issue that we need to explore or that I want to start with is the fact that they're one of the only teams, I think, in playoff history to have a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter of multiple games and lose them all. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think it was like three. The series could be all oh, yes. If they would have, they could have. The series could have been over. Could have been an upset had they been able to hold the leads. Yeah, yeah close out so, the games. So here's my thing with Minnesota, and you, you you pointed it out. First and foremost, I've come to understand and and basically say, don't ever say this person's not going anywhere because in this world of worlds, we spent a whole season. You and I, on view from the clutch, speculating what was going to happen with D'Angelo Russell when he was a um, throw-in player for Golden State. Yeah. He did this. And then it became known to everybody that he was a big-time friend of Carl Anthony Towns and that he actually wanted to go to Minnesota. While all that was happening, Minnesota was having a Minnesota season and not doing very well record-wise, and that allowed them to get Anthony Edwards at the number one pick. Anthony Edwards mm-hmm. has solidified himself, and now the hype train is behind him, and he's getting, of all the comparisons we get as a young player, he's getting Michael Jordan comparison. Oh, God. The, the kid is bona fide. Nothing to be yeah, said. Oh, absolutely. Tell you, I'll tell you this. When I first saw him, and this goes back to me seeing him in college, I think with the Georgia, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I thought he was going to be good. I did not have any way in my mind to project how good he's actually become. He's grown two inches. He's got a more reliable pull-up three-point jump shot than he had in college because he was below 30% even from, you know, pull-up threes. Yeah. Off the dribble. And he's raised his stock and he's gotten better. He's said less to make you worry about his character because he was saying goofy things when he was 19, 18 years old. Like, oh, basketball is not even my favorite sport. You know, mm-hmm. so there were there were concerns that Anthony Edwards was talented, but that he may not be basketball locked in. Yeah. It's looking like he's basketball locked in. And I say all that and I bring all that bring that all up to say is because you pointed out the fact that Carl Anthony Towns, what'd you say he was? He's a second option. He's a great second option. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a solid I don't have the stats. 
I don't have the stats. I, I mean, statistically, if you take what call it the account producers and that's your number two scorer, yeah. But I'm pretty sure he was the leading scorer on the team. No, I, I believe so. I believe he was the leading scorer on the team, but I would like to see if he – I don't think he was the leading scorer in the playoffs. And when okay. – Okay, when, and that's, that's probably true. I mean, but the playoffs also bring on a different monster. So let me go ahead and go get back to it. The reason why Minnesota lost this series is the exact reason why they got to the playoffs. Their identity changed the moment they added Patrick Beverly to the roster. He is one of those guys who stirs the drink differently. You can't keep him off the floor, but when you have him on the floor, something else changes. When you have Patrick mm. Beverly start, and he's not a true traditional point guard, meaning that he's not a shot creator, play initiator. He's more of a, I can get the ball across half-court safely. He's kind of like me. I can get the ball across half-court safely. I'm not going to do too many creative, crafty things. Uh, if I see an open pass, I can make it. But if you leave me open and play off of me, I'll burn you. You know, that's Patrick Beverly. And he's going to mm-hmm. give you nothing but maximum effort on defense. So you've got one guy like that who essentially is just there on the court. Then you have D'Angelo Russell. Then you have Anthony Edwards. So you have three guards, essentially, because they're all guards. Anthony mm-hmm. Edwards is not You know, we, we can dress him up for all we wanted to be because he's hyper-athletic and He's not a four. He's a guard. Yeah, no, of course. Three, so now you have a three-guard offense because you don't want to take Pat Bev and what he brings to the floor defensively off the floor. You have D'Angelo Russell, who is a shot creator, but because Anthony Edwards does a lot of his work with the ball in his hands, that's going to take the ball out of D'Angelo Russell's hands. Because remember, this is Mr. Ice in my veins. He mm-hmm. made a career, and he, he rebuilt his brain off of becoming a clutch player when he started young in Los Angeles and got into a situation where, you know, he did the thing with Nick Young and got himself, you know, mm-hmm. basically off the roster, wound up in Brooklyn, had a resurgent season, became a first-time All-Star, and then Brooklyn moved him, and he winds up in Golden State, where Golden State really didn't have anything to do with him or, or have a future planned out for him, but he was used as an asset, and then he winds up in Minnesota. I believe he got an extension. So I believe if I, I'm gonna have to fire up my computer to pull it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have the computer handy. No, I, I don't. Think, I think he got an extension mm-hmm. either in Minnesota when he landed, or Golden State may have done a sign and trade. I think it was a sign and trade because that's how they got Andrew Wiggins. Correct. So it may have been a situation where they did a sign and trade to move him to get Wiggins, and he's probably on one of those four or five year deals. And what is it? His second season in Minnesota? Second full season? I uh, believe so, played, yeah, yeah. He played last he played, year. He played by Anthony Edwards' rookie year. And because this is Anthony Edwards' second year in the league. Mm-hmm. So I think Minnesota and their coaching staff is going to have to figure out a way to maximize what you, what you pointed to. They have weapons, but those weapons are not all firing together because they just don't have that harmony. I think what D'Angelo Russell did was he put a backpedal on his identity as a basketball player to allow the, the resurgence, the, the, the ascension of Anthony Edwards to take place. And I think that also goes into play with the coaches staff. The coaches said, hey, we got a star. We got the next fight done. You know, they're not going to call as many D'Angelo Russell plays. They don't run screen and roll, pick and pop with, with D'Angelo and Carl Anthony Towns to isolate on one side of the floor. They do it with Anthony Edwards. 
So now you've reduced a shot-creating playmaker into a spot-up guy. So you have two spot-up guys on one side of the floor, Anthony Edwards and and um and Carl Anthony Towns doing their thing on the other side of the floor, which is the prime side of the floor. And then whoever the third, you know, out of that out of that five-man rotation started, he's on the floor. And what is he doing? He's got a space. So that's not D'Angelo Russell that we know. D'Angelo Russell that we know had the ball in his hands and was taking shots when he was in Brooklyn. He wasn't a spot-up shooter. So you, you've changed the dynamic of the offense, and now everybody's got to find their place. And it's all happening on, on the fly because that's not the Minnesota offense that they had last year. But guess what? The Minnesota offense that they had last year didn't go to the playoffs. Exactly. So now you've got a situation where, as a franchise, as a coaching staff, you're going to have to realign your play style so that the unit that you plan on keeping all feels comfortable. I'm pretty sure they're mm-hmm. going to give Pat Beverly a check if they haven't already. A yeah. guy comes up the team and is a part of them turning around their season and getting into the playoffs and being in probably one of the more exciting first-round matchups of the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Because it was very exciting, very entertaining series. You know, I would say it was one of the best first-round series that that happened, but I think that would be going a little bit too far. But I do think it was highly entertaining, and it was definitely worth a watch. I caught a, I caught a, I think I only missed like one of the games, and I think I missed the game the, the closeout. I missed. Well, let's be on, let's be honest. This was one of the games from two small market teams that got a lot of play on the, all the a lot of the big time media markets because of how the games transpired, how they were down. Um, every game meant something, you know, or, and also this is the series that produced one of the greatest posters in NBA history. You oh, know? You don't think it was? NBA history, greatest posters. And playoff history. Playoff history, greatest po- Okay, fine. One I, of the playoffs. I, I, I'm not saying, I didn't mean to say NBA, I meant playoff history, because also the way, significance of... Hmm? It was a charge. It was a charge. It's a clear yeah, charge. Yeah, but that's not there. Listen, for every fan <laughs> that watches, for every fan that watches basketball, and the NBA is in business, you don't you you don't call that because that is NBA is able to sell that image mm-hmm. for a lot of money. And if you call that a charge, you just missed out on a lot of money. The NBA is smart. You know what I mean? They know, but this that type of magnitude and also. You also have to remember the significance of that because that that was all exactly, and also the fact that it was momentum shifter. You know because that 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 was towards the end of the third quarter with Memphis losing, but Memphis ends winning the game because that that every time you saw the replay, that the crowd was just more and more excited, more and more excited, and big time, big time, big time, super. Listen. One thing they can say about views from the clutch, we've been on the Java rant train. Oh, f- facts. From from draft night, if not prior. Oh, from we knew. State. Yeah. We we knew. Now, if he gets to that echelon of pull up daggers from 28 feet, good night, Irene. As long as he doesn't get hurt and he gets that. If, if there's no give and take, like let's say he gets yeah. the, let's say he gets the willingness to shoot with the accuracy level of what Jamal Murray had before he got hurt, 
along with what he already possesses athletically. Oh, that's gonna that's that's wow. That's come on, that's they might as well pull him out the face of the NBA. If but he can I get his down to where he can reliably fire off with confidence in people's faces, or not even in people's faces, just be able to reliably get your shot off from long distance. Re- Yo, honestly, in the era of guards scoring a lot anyway, yes. one guards a lot of the score. John Morant, I think, led the league in points in the paint. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. He led the league in points in the paint. That has to stop. Yeah, that has to stop. Well, he, also, he's only get older, and it's only going to hurt more and more. And if he is following the trajectory of athletes who he's similar to, the Russell Westbrooks, the Steve Francis's, the you know the players of that cloth, the guys who came into the paint and served it up like they was mm-hmm. you know the chef. Yeah, injuries take those legs. So you definitely want him to continue to develop, and it it, it boils down to his perimeter game. And I think we'll see that in this next series. Who did Memphis? Memphis got Dallas. No, Memphis plays Golden State. Oh yeah. Well, after they lose these four games, no, I, I, let me say this: they they could get. I mean, okay. Okay. On how, okay let me say this: they cannot play. They cannot play the same way they played against Memphis, or they'll. I mean, yeah, against Minnesota, or they'll lose. Golden State. Golden State is not the type of team that's going to allow you to go on a twenty-one to zip run or thirteen to zip run. Golden State is the team that will. Put those type of runs on you. So no, the only zip run you're going to get on Golden State is if you win the tip and score the first basket. You'll go up two zip, three zip. And I'm just saying that to be facetious, but the firepower that comes with that Golden State Warrior offense, the fact that they put up 70 points in 19 minutes without trying, crazy. Again, listen, crazy. I, I project at best a six game series because. You don't want to take too much away from what Memphis is capable of doing on the defensive end. Those yeah. young kids, they go out and fight. So they will fight. They will claw. They will scratch. Golden State's got a harmonious offense that makes it really difficult for even the smartest defensive teams to properly be able to account for all the different options that they have. And when they run, you know, those death lineups that they keep configuring and have a new one, the new one now is Jordan Poole, uh, Clay, Steph. Steph. Draymond and um Wiggins. Wiggins. So you basically have only one non-shooter, and that guy is making the plays because he's arguably one of the top five passers in the league. Let's just go ahead and give Draymond Green his flowers. He's yeah, one of the well, top no, of course. And he, he also is the he also is a great person that sets screens. And that is very, very vital, especially for uh, for shooters. When, when Golden State can get off the Huh? And he also cleans up. He cleans up their 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 offense. So there are a lot of times where players are sometimes moving in the wrong direction. He's a quarterback out there on offense and defense. He gets people to get into the correct spots so that even when a play is blocked, like you said, that his ability to set a screen and move somebody at the same time puts them right back into the space that they need to be to get the shot that they need to get. They're rarely going to be at a loss for getting a good shot especially against a young team like the Griffins. Because when you're young, you defend with energy, but you don't always necessarily defend with intelligence. 
So you could be giving it your all and playing a guy your heart is not realizing that your overplay is causing something else to happen that creates a chain reaction for another person to score. It takes a level of intelligence to defend Golden State that Memphis is only going to figure out with experience. So that's why I say maybe they get to six games at the most, and that would be a great learning experience for them. If they get to seven games, you know, in a seven-game series against Golden State, anything can happen. No, that, well, also, but that game will be in, in Memphis because Memphis is the highest seed. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm just saying for a young team to have, have a game seven at home, Guys, guys, that helps confidence. If you got to go on right. a game seven on the on the road, a younger team, you might, guys might freeze up a little, you know. But yeah, game I, seven I at home, because this is Memphis's first playoff run, I don't yeah. even think they understand the significance of what home court advantage means because they they gift wrapped it to Minnesota That's almost true. twice. Yeah, fast. almost twice they they tried to give Minnesota like, oh, we don't really care about this home court thing. Y'all want it, you know. And I'm not saying it like that with their literal attitude, but the way that they didn't really understand the benefits of having it because they haven't had it before, other than, you know, having a home game as a as, listen, I love everything about what Memphis is doing. I've been a Memphis Grizzlies fan before the grit and grind era. I was one of those mm-hmm. people who enjoyed watching Pal Gasol, Mike Miller, Jason Williams, Eddie Jones, James Posey, Bonzi Wells. All those guys, coached by Hubie Brown, go out and win 60 games. So nice. I've always been intrigued by what Memphis could do, not only as a city, but as a basketball franchise. So for them to have a resurgence, and it only take a year and a half, because remember, they sunk for a year and a half. That's it. Mm-hmm. They had a down year. Mike Conley was the only thing left behind from the grit and grind era. They moved him to uh, Utah. They bottomed out, got John ja Morant. John ja Morant put him in playoff contention in his second year. Yeah. So they really haven't had an extended drought of future. No, this is this John Moran's third year. Right. But they were in playoff contention in the second year. They didn't oh, yeah, they weren't last year, yeah, yeah. They were in a playing game last year because they lost to the Golden State, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. They really only had a year and a half of down, maybe two, where they mm-hmm. weren't a playoff team or a considerable a considerable threat to be in the playoff, and maybe more. I might have to go back and, and you know apologize to the fans or apologize to the viewers about my inaccuracy, but I really only recall Memphis being down and not really being a presence on the playoff in the playoff scene for a year, two, two years, three years. Mm-hmm. No, of course. You no, know, what you're saying is understandable. Even if you're off a little, it ain't by much. So, um... so my takeaway overall from that series is that Minnesota is going to have to go back to the drawing table and really decide how they're going to fill out that roster. You know, like you just said, who the alpha dogs are. You've established, you know, the pecking order of who's going to be. It's going to be an Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns situation. Who gets the most touches between them two? I don't think it's going to really be a big deal because Carl Anthony Towns is the older, more established player. And because he's arguably the best, if he's not arguably, he is the best shooting big man. In NBA history, I think the fact that he's in his prime and he's also still a guy who, at his age, is capable of driving to the basket eight, nine times a game, he's going to continue to be the, you know, the, he's going to continue to stir the drink. And I mm-hmm. think Anthony being able to play off of that is going to allow him to develop, uh, you know, into a really great player, which he's already shown the flashes of doing. I mean, we, we, we're sitting here singing the praises of Ja Morant posters. Anthony Edwards is probably number two in posted dunks himself, you know? 
So, oh no, no, no. I'm talking. About, I was talking about playoff. No, no, that. Yeah, I already know what time it is with that. Um, so, I think. Good. No, no. But what with Memphis again? Golden State is going to be the measuring stick for if we can keep these games competitive. It shows that we have some growth, and that the back and forth battle with the Wolves was just that's what it was. But don't take into accountability. This is how we're going to play all the time with having to have being deficits and having to storm back and you know win win games in the fourth quarters by and come back from double digits. Now it can it, it's possible, but Memphis doesn't want that. And again, another thing too is Memphis has to um fig they got a lot of things they need to figure out. They this series too, they're gonna have to keep Jaron Jackson out of foul trouble because in the Minnesota mm-hmm. series, he was in foul trouble the whole series. So it's almost like from 2017 to 2021, four seasons of playoff utility. So they were 22 and 60, 33 and 49, 34 and 39, 38 and 34 last year, and now 56 and 26. So they did have an extended run, double what I said. So four years of playoff of, of playoff utility. Getting back to what you said, yes, Jaron Jackson Jr., who was my pick and I felt was slighted in the defensive player of the year conversation, he kind of validated why he got slighted because he couldn't stay on the court. Yeah, you'll block six shots, but you'll foul out in the third quarter. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think, um, but like I said, even with, and also the thing about Memphis, John Morant got the, the um, most improved player this year, but I, I thought, and I was saying from before that, should have been his teammate the whole time, Desmond Bain. He went from off the bench. Now, I don't even think he scored double. He didn't average double figures last year to start averaging close to 19 points a game. I mean, he went up. Now, granted, Ja went up like nine, almost nine, almost 10 points a game in scoring. Well, not, but he, he went about eight, nine points of scoring, but Desmond Bain went up about the same amount. And if you go from Bench role barely getting double figures to now starter to where there was games where he was getting thirty in the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I think I think you know it is what it is. I won't argue against a guy like Desmond Bain being on that list, but I do, you know tragically slighted by what took place. I definitely think that he should have been in that conversation if he wasn't. We're talking about John Morant being the the most improved player in the league when he was the number three pick in the draft. This is a situation where his ceiling was already high. So yeah. him coming into his own was, guess what? When a player is one of those top picks, the third season is tended to be the season of ascension. Yes. You have your season where you make your splash and, you know, you make your, the world aware that you exist. You have your so-called, what is it, the sophomore struggle or season, mm-hmm. whatever the case Yeah. You still talk to figure things out. Then you have your third season where you ascend. Exactly. And that's really the path that John Morant's career has taken. So it wasn't a surprise to me. But again, like I said, we here at Houston the Clutch, we were always on the John Morant is that dude train. I think we said and established last year, remember, what was it? There's five guys I said that if you put them on the team, you're going to go to the playoffs. John mm-hmm. Morant's team is so good. Without him, they were better. Yeah. And Now, and, long term, is that realistic? No, but for those short sample sizes where they were winning games and actually rising in the standings while he was not on the court, 
that says a lot about what Memphis has got going on there. Oh, facts. Big time. Big time. That is um that is something to see. Definitely now, something given to the, see. We've given the first half of the cast to to one series, so we're gonna have to like speed back our way to a couple others. Um let's go east real quick. And let's discuss the team that oh, man gives me heartache to bring up to talk about because so many people are fans of that city. And I just feel for them. But Philadelphia has managed to advance to the second round after a tough six-game series with Toronto, but they did not come out unscathed. It's come mm. to come to you know fruition that Joel Embiid is hurt. He already has a thumb situation that's going to require all-season surgery. Mm-hmm. Now we come that he fractured an orbital, bone, an orbital bone in his eye, and he suffered a concussion when Pascal Siakam hit him. Now, you brought to my attention that I did not see this game, that this occurred in a game that Philadelphia was clearly already ahead in, and it could have been a situation that was avoided if Joel and B had been out of the game because there was no longer anything to contest. I'm going to have to leave that to you to tell me. What happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was he. They Philadelphia was up um, twenty nine points with about I think four minutes and like thirty seconds left in that in in the game, and you know most people will say, okay, you pull your starters, or at least you know I mean at, at this point, just thinking of okay, Embiid is not one hundred percent healthy. He's playing through that thumb injury. I'm up twenty nine points. Let me just get these do let me get him out of here at least, you know, because he's already battling that injury, trying to play through an injury. And you're bringing up that many points. What there's no there's no rhyme or reason for it. Now, um, what happened is and B was see Pascal Siakam had the ball, and he was driving to the paint, and you had um Embiid who got elbowed. Uh, by Pascal Siakam, right in his um, right in his face, and you could tell Embiid after the game said, "Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's broke, or it might be broken." You know, so he already knew he was hurt. Now they're saying the he's issue is, huh? I said he's played with a face mask before, but what? Well, but, that's because but what he, he, he messed up an orbital bone. I, if, it, if I'm not mistaken, it was on the opposite side. So, but they're saying that the um the reason why this is big, well big because for one you don't know the extent of the injury, but that mild concussion NBA protocol says he has to be out five days. So if I'm not mistaken, that's game one, and if I'm not mistaken, it might be game two. No, in the fifth, I don't know. I mean, well, because you got to figure. Well, no, no, okay, I'm wrong. It's it's definitely game one because. It was five days from the injury, not five days from the start of game one. So, yeah. But again. Huh? So, he's definitely out for game one, is what you're saying. Oh, you know, he's, they, they, they got him ruled out indefinitely. So, but yeah, he, he'll be out. I mean, because again, I think NBA protocol says five days. Now, we'll see what happens. Indefinitely, indefinitely is always subject to change. So that's why I wasn't really sure what it was going to be. Because, you know, you can go from indefinitely to game time decisions based on whatever. You know, we've seen it before. Not to say if, if you know, that like, that's what's going to happen with Embiid. But, like, if the protocol holds up to what you're pointing to, you got to be He's going to at least, at least 
missed game one. Who's Philadelphia playing? They're playing Boston, right? No, Philadelphia plays Miami. Oh, who? Boston, Boston plays Boston plays um, Giannis and them and Milwaukee. But yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Philadelphia already has a hands full. Yeah, with with the with the thing about it is, with Miami is they embody the next man up mm-hmm. philosophy. Shout out to Victor Oladipo. Yeah, who I'm not even gonna lie. I, I didn't. I forgot he was on Miami. Well, and also his injury report. The whole season. I actually went and watched the hour-long video that he released where he spoke about what it took to come back and what actually took place. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. He actually. What happened was when he initially. uh, What was it that he did? He He tore a stop. He caught off. Yeah, when he when he dislocated his quadricep, I think it had never been properly surgically repaired. Oh, from the time it happened in Indiana till he got to Miami. Wow! So he essentially had been playing on one leg for two years. Jesus! So the version, and he's twenty nine years old. We forget Victor Oladipo is not so he. Listen, man, prayers up to that dude. Wakanda forever. I really do hope he's able to. I don't know, you know, what version of Victor Oladipo we're going to get for the remainder of his career. Yeah. And obviously, obviously, you know, it's almost like a Derrick Rose situation where his prime or a big part of his prime was compromised because of the injury. Mm-hmm. But he seems to physically, based off of what I saw in that, that closeout game, he seems to have his legs under him, both of them, in a way that he feels comfortable in his body. So for Miami to just be able to trot him out there when yeah. you don't have Jimmy Butler, man, I, I, listen, I, I thought Philadelphia was in trouble just because they're Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia playing that version of Miami with the amount of firepower, with that attitude and energy that they have, like you said, that next man up, that switch all mentality, that Bam out of bio will guard your point guard and not be afraid on the switch. Miami looks hard pressed to go and get that title they didn't get in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And I really think that the only team that is going to, in the East, pose a significant problem for them for an entire series is going to be Milwaukee. I don't really see mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Philadelphia is going to compete. I don't want to, you know, take anything away from them. Again, with the issues that they have already going. So let's just go ahead and get into it. James Harden, man. Mm hmm. What are we going to do with him? Yo. What version of James Harden is actually playing basketball in Philadelphia right now? I that's have. not... That's not the OKC Harden. That's not the Houston Rockets Harden. That ain't even the Brooklyn Harden. That's the... He might have got, you know, kidnapped by the aliens from Space Jam Harden. Yo, that, that seems like the... Un- that seems like the slimmer version of the uninterested James Harden. Like it does honestly, he doesn't seem like he's interested. And it's really like it's almost like when the NBA rules didn't allow him to continue to, to get, you know, 15 free throws a game. It was almost like he was like, damn, what do I do now? Like he's not like he's not aggressive, he's not playing aggressive. Kind of this is going with the flow. Just sometimes he'll be out there. You'd be like, "Yo, he just shot a brick," and that's normally not like James Harden because 
every time I've seen James Harden play, one thing I always liked about James Harden was when he shot, every shot looked the same. Like he was continuous with, you know, just the rotation. He would, but now he's just like whatever. Like he, I don't know. Maybe he's just taking. I don't know what it is, but he's definitely. To me, to me, it looks like it looks like it looks like he he left his prime earlier than than anticipated. Well, and, his usage rate was so high, so it ran right. his prime down. I mean, he's also he's also one of those guys who he, he was never hyper athletic. So yeah, him no, getting definitely. by you, him getting by you, a lot of that was based on, and, and this is something that I want to speak to that I hope the average average basketball fan can can relate to. There's an energy factor that comes with playing the game of basketball. You can still be as fast as you were at 32 that you were at 18, but if your energy level doesn't allow you to hit that gear consistently. It's going to affect your overall speed. And that's what I think has happened to James Harden. He can't get to that level and reach it as easily as he could when his usage rate was what it was and he was younger. So it's not that he doesn't have the same skill, talent, and speed. I just don't think he has the ability to summon it on command at the same rate because I watched it. He does the same move pattern, but he doesn't have the confidence against everybody in the league to get to his spots that he once had. So in the Philadelphia versus Toronto series, the only guy he would attack consistently was Gary Trent. So they would run all these pick and rolls to switch until Gary Trent was on him, and then he would start attacking the basket. Yeah. Otherwise, he was a spot-up shooter, or he was a middle-of-the-paint middle penetrator to a kick-out or give-it-to-Embiid type of player. Mm-hmm. James Harden, I don't know if you can do it in the middle of a playoff series or in the middle of a playoff run, but I don't know. He might need to have something injected into his legs to, to be able to summon that, that gear that he just doesn't seem to be able to get to reliably. And in this series, what's going on with Embiid, and we're going to close it out because we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Philadelphia. If James Harden doesn't embrace the high usage version of himself, the series is over in four. Mm-hmm. Simple and plain. Because Miami is one of those teams where even with that next man up, we'll all guard you mentality. Any team exactly. is going to come to the willpower of one guy being better than anybody you put in front of them. We've seen it before in the playoffs. If there's just this one guy that no team has an answer for, which is what Embiid was to Toronto, it tends to win you a series. So if James Harden can summon that and be that guy that nobody has an answer for, and hopefully Embiid can work his way back into the flow and be a complimentary player in the series. Because remember, you got a broken orbital bone. A broken orbital bone, that's the remainder of the playoffs. He's going to have to wear a mask most likely. Mm-hmm. I don't know, four to six weeks, six to eight weeks. I, I can't imagine, you You know, you well, when LeBron did it, it was because his nose was broken. And other players, when they wear the mask, it's usually their nose. But when it's the eye socket, I think that that's the situation that, that goes on for an extended period. So I can't imagine that being something that we don't we don't we probably don't see him be without a mask until next season. So now is the time for Harden, and and you alluded to it, the consequences of a Philadelphia failure. You you, you trade out Ben Simmons, you, you go and get James Harden, you do that because your your GM is Daryl Morey, 
Daryl Morey didn't hire Doc Rivers. Yeah. Dave Harden's on the verge of another extension. One that I don't know that Philadelphia should be excited to try and offer right now. Mm-mm-mm. But you do, do give out that You don't let the guy walk who you traded away your young secondary franchise player for. Yeah. And those issues will be addressed when this season is over. And I feel like we won't have people from Philadelphia trying to threaten to kill us because we're not speaking highly of their team. Which is why I tend to not look too hard on Philadelphia. I definitely do like the idea. I hope that they will succeed. But I just feel like there's so many issues surrounding how they've conducted themselves as a franchise. It's hard to see their rainbow. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Boston, they dismantled New Jersey. Yeah, they caused, they, they caused a lot of issues. Well, not caused a lot of issues, but they presented a lot of issues to to the outlook of what the future for Brooklyn is. Kyrie, he he put out some tweets in regards to how he feels about the media, things that we don't really have to address because you know it's not really pertinent to basketball. But at the end of the day, I feel like Brooklyn is an incomplete team, and they've got a lot of figuring out to do. Without knowing what's going to happen with Ben Simmons, no oh God, they don't have they don't have an identity, and I think that's a big part of why a team like Boston was able to do what they did to them. We'll lock up KD, and Kyrie won't try to go for forty again because Kyrie only did it once. What did he go for thirty nine in Game One? Was it thirty nine? He went for in Game One against Boston, and he almost willed them to a win, and 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 then from there he was just you know. Kyrie Irving. Boston and that defense is at a historical clip. I, I, I'm, it's going to be, it's going to be quite a show to see Boston match up against Milwaukee, because Milwaukee's got arguably the single best defensive player out there right now, and Jeru Holiday. And you got Jeru Holiday on one side, and you got Marcus Smart on another. So it's going to be a interesting series. Milwaukee is the defending NBA champions. Who do you think is going to win that series? Mm, I still got Giannis. I still feel like Giannis is the top player in the league, and I feel like he, the way he plays, is going to work out for for Milwaukee. But it will that Middleton being that Middleton sitting out, I think is going to be um well Middleton being hurt, he's not sitting out. But I mm-hmm. I really feel like it's going to be Milwaukee. I just feel like Giannis is this. Yeah, it's it's a toss up, but I I really kind of I think I think um, Milwaukee will pull that series out, but I think Boston will put up a good fight. That might be one of the better series in the second round. You saying six? You saying seven? Um, I can see I can see I can see Milwaukee winning and mm, Milwaukee winning is six. My seven is. We're speaking about Giannis being so great. Giannis got to guard Tatum, don't he? No, I know, I know. It's not easy. No, trust me. I just, I just feel like, I just, it's going. Like I said, I can see this series going seven. I definitely can see this series going seven, and that's why I can see why you're saying you can see Miami winning because if MB doesn't play, that's not much of Miami has a an easier path. You know, they just beat Atlanta. Then they'll beat an injured uh, Philadelphia. 
and they'll be sitting in the Eastern Conference Finals waiting for, you know, the winner of um, the Celtics and the Bucks. So, yes, it, it will be a challenge. And, yeah, but, yeah, I want to see that game. I want that, that um, I want to see that. I think, but I, I, something about Giannis, man, I feel like he is still, even though he's the finals MVP, I feel like people are still kind of sleeping on him. And I feel like he, he kind of feels that too. Like, yo, I'm going to have to average 30, 30, 30 and 12 this series in order for people to start paying attention again that I'm good. Like, but we'll see because Tatum could put that same type of pressure on him. So the league MVP and finals MVP is under the radar. I, I feel like it's something about it's something about this situation. Because we've been talking about Miami. People talk about oh Miami, they've been talking about like in the East, Miami, Boston. I think it's also the way they they won their um their playoff series. Boston Boston was the talk of the first round because they were able to Put the Brook to 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 beat up the Brooklyn um, Nets, who were a lot of people's preseason and regular season favorites. Even though they felt okay, they got a bad record. So many people were saying that, oh, well, don't be surprised if um the Nets come with the upset because you got KD, who's top top Mm -hmm. two player. You got Kyrie, who's a top ten player or top fifteen player. Those guys can win each win a couple of games for you. And the reality is they got swept. And the only team in the playoffs to get swept. So, you know, Boston Boston is not going to, um, to be overlooked. I agree. I think with, again, Boston playing defense at that historical level that they're playing, that gives them an opportunity to be in any series. And the fact that Jason Tatum has ascended to that top five at his position, top five arguably, might be in the league type of level of play with Jalen Brown, you know, fitting in well. And it seems like, you know, Boston's got a harmony. And then that whole Robert Williams coming back, I think that's an underrated transaction. You get the anchor of that backline defense back on your team early. And he seems to be just as springy as he was before he got hurt. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Boston – I don't think Boston would be able to get past Miami as currently configured. I think Milwaukee, because of their championship experience, would probably I, – I figure Miami is probably in for a seven-game a seven game Eastern Conference Finals if they can get past Philadelphia, whoever they play. Yes, Either I agree. Likely going to give them a seven-game – Eastern Conference final situation. So I wouldn't be surprised if Miami somehow, if they're able to get past Philadelphia, if they run into Boston or they run into Milwaukee, it goes seven games. Because as much as we talk about, or as much as I've been talking about Boston's historical defense, like I said, Milwaukee arguably has one of the most difficult to handle defensive players in NBA history in Jamie Holiday. And he's going to be guarding either Tatum or um, Brown, or Brown, all series, if not both, and he is a person that makes life hell for your best scorer if your best scorer is perimeter oriented. So even though he gives up height to a guy like Jason Tatum, remember Jason Tatum is only what six eight, 
Mm-hmm. Daryl Holiday is a solid six four, six five. Mm-hmm. So, and he's solid. Like he's built. Like he can handle it. He fights through screens. He does these really unique things to make what seems like an advantage for the offense into a disadvantage because he knows how to recover. He trails from the side. He competes. He contests. He fights. Guys like that, like a Marcus Smart type of guy, those guys are in, those guys are so invaluable. The play of the NBA Finals last year is Jay Rue Holiday taking all of Devin Booker's clothes off in the ball, running down court, and throwing it to Giannis for alley. Is it not? Is that mm-hmm. not the play of the Finals? Mm-hmm. That guy still exists. So if Milwaukee can be whole and healthy, by the time we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, I definitely can see them giving giving us a seven-game series if it's going to be versus the Heat. If Philadelphia is able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, I think with all that they've been through, that's almost like their Super Bowl. I don't know if they would even know how to fight through to get to the finals. Because like you said, off-camera or off-cast, the expectation for Philadelphia is to at least get to the conference finals. If they get to the conference finals, I think everybody kind of breathes a sigh of relief. Like, look, despite everything we got here. Now, yeah. I, don't think they, I don't think we need to sweat, but I mean, Joel Embiid is still going to have a face mask on. We're still going to be investigating whether or not James Harden is wearing a fat suit or if he's been, you know, had his powers stolen from him by aliens. I don't think their problems are going to go away. Tyrese Maxey is still going to continue to be a sleeper. And, you know, Matisse Seibold is just continuing to be a great defensive player who can't, you know, shoot to hit the side of a barn. Yeah, well, then we don't know what the heck's going on with Tobias Harris because I'm – listen, I hate to say this, but he has been able to get paid as a top-tier player but not perform as one. And and the guy who orchestrated that is his current head coach. Yeah. Doc Rivers got him paid. Yeah. So, you know – this is it's it's a curious it's a curious situation for for Doc Rivers and what he's dealing with there in Philadelphia, and that's why I also feel like us talking about it at, at the level that it's already being talked about is kind of like beating a dead horse. It's almost like let's just take a wait and see approach to how Philadelphia handles that, and then we'll comment on it because mm-hmm. our input on it is only it almost feels like there's a bonfire going on, and we're just two guys walking by like here 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 here's a stick. Yeah, enough. Getting back to the other half of the um the Western Conference before we wrap this up, is it time for Utah to go in a different direction? Yeah, you gotta have a fire sale. You gotta have a fire sale with Utah. Well, you got Rudy Gobert in a max contract. Yeah. You got Donovan Mitchell in a max contract. I'm going back and doing the research. Utah already made a decision on who they're favoring in regards to which player they're going to listen to more. And Donovan Mitchell, because his strength coach is uh, is anyway. No, his strength coach, the coach, the person who trains him, he he no longer is Donovan Mitchell's like you know personal strength coach. He's a Utah Jazz employee. Donovan Mitchell's head of security is a Utah Jazz employee. Eric Paschal, who was Donovan Mitchell's boyhood friend from basketball camps, is a member of the Utah Jazz. Utah has made it clear that they're going to hitch their wagon to Donovan Mitchell and this perceived and sometimes proven to be risk that exists between him and Rudy Gobert is now going to come to a head because if you have a fire sale, one of those two guys got to get sold and it's going to be Rudy Gobert. 
But who's taking him? And who wants him? There will be somebody that will take him. I don't know who. I mean, there's always somebody that takes somebody. But I feel like they're either going to do one or two things. Get rid of the players or get rid of the coach. I don't see them. I don't see That's another thing. Quinn Snyder declined an extension. Oh, so he's 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 the the one that's going there. Quinn Snyder, no, but he declined the extension as if to say, you know, there might be something better out there. Now, mind you, this offseason, there's going to be a lot of good potential jobs available. Remember, nobody's hired the Lakers coach yet. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other franchises out there that are going to be looking for coaches as we go into this offseason. I mean, obviously, a few of them, a few, a few coaching spots that people thought were going to be available aren't. Like New Orleans is not going to be looking for a new coach. So, big time mm-hmm. fouls are really good. Yeah, shout out here. to him, man. They started out, what, 1 and 12? Or 1 and 12 or 3 and 12 or something like that? Like I said, nah, shout I think I think Nate McMillan is safe, even with. How Atlanta, you know, played this season. I think yeah. he'll be giving it up. Got, he's going to get at least one more. He's going to get one more season at least to figure that but I out. Brought up, I brought up Quinn Snyder because Quinn Snyder is part of the Duke coaching tree. Coaching tree. So mm. he's got options. I don't know if Duke has named their successor. They probably already have. Yeah, yeah, they so got – um, what should we call it? Oh, God, what's the guy's name? He used to be he's a former Duke college. player. No, he used to be a former player. Recent Shire, I think Shire, I think Shire is the replacement. I think. Oh, John Shire is going to be the coach. Okay, I think so. so I think so. I could be no, wrong. No, you're right. I remember reading that. I remember it, it, it's a, it is John Shire. But point being, Quinn Snyder, for for what he's done for Utah, in a franchise that is not really marquee, and you know people talk all the time about location, location, location. That matters to coaches too. Billy Donovan, he took the first thing smoking out of Oklahoma City. Yeah, he had enough of that climate, that part of the country. Mm-hmm. So you know, and Billy Bill, and, and Billy Donovan is an East Coast guy. So him being able to get himself to the Midwest of Chicago was, you know, that and, and who's to say what's going to happen? We'll deal with the NBA offseason and these teams because Zach Levine's future is a big deal in Chicago because he's made it clear that he's going to go out and date these free agency meetings and actually explore being a free agent. A lot of people forget that. He he tried to leave Chicago. Mm-hmm. He got there. He signed a, a offer sheet with Sacramento, and, and Chicago matched it. Yeah, and that's how he do the deal that he's currently exiting now. So isn't and he's a California kid. So there's a lot to be said about the possibility of what what some some of these players' movements is going to do to influence coaches. I just wanted to get your opinion on: Do you think Utah needs to blow it up, or do you think Utah yeah. will just choose to blow it up? No, they need to because they've been eliminating the first round since the bubble or second round. Like who? Since Donovan uh, Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell. I think didn't they beat? Uh, did they beat OKC when? Um, did they beat OKC when 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 um, Melo was there? Yeah, yeah. I think they beat OKC. Okay, they they have been in the second round. No, they've I been they've they, been they've been yeah second round. But these last few years. You've had the same roster, and it's the same result. At some point, yeah, you've, had, you've, had, you've had some of the same core. You've had Conley, you've had Conley, Gobert, Mitchell, all together. Yeah, and, but you also had Jordan Clarkson, and you had Bogdanovich, and you have Royce O'Neal. Those guys mm-hmm. have been there. Now Bogdanovich didn't play with them in the bubble, 
Everybody else did though. Jordan Clarkson was there because that's when he won six man of the year. Joe Ingles, oh, obviously, Joe Ingles has been hurt, but still. He's no longer a part of that whole franchise dynamic. He got no, but I mean, you've had the similar, you've had, you've had about five of those players that play key positions in key, in key uh, core minutes. And you've had about five years of, because I think Donovan Mitchell was in his fifth year, and they've been to the playoffs every year that he's been on that team. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they don't have, like you said, an earmark of significant success. You say, well, hey, you know, we could go to the finals. What's the conference? You know, they don't have a conference finals to say, well, you know, we even know what the mountaintop looks like. So mm-hmm. I agree that in all likelihood, Utah will do something. I'm just kind of like, I'm concerned as to what it is they actually can do because of the nature of that franchise and what it is. You know, Utah's a small market. It's a city that not a lot of players necessarily want to go play for. And for you to think that you can just bring in whatever you need to win, even just because you got Dwayne Wade as a part of the ownership group, you know, that's all jazzing and all that looks great in the PR level. Mm -hmm. Does that actually translate to you being a successful franchise? Or successful, you know, from a basketball perspective, I don't know. It's a wait and see approach. But with that being said, the reason why I brought up the Utah situation is because that means that Dallas beat them, and now Dallas is going into the second round. And who's Dallas's matchup? Phoenix. Yeah, shout out to two, two, three, and that masterful closeout of um, New Orleans, fourteen for fourteen. I do mm-hmm. feel like he kind of like had been made aware he hadn't missed a shot, but it all worked out. 13 for 13 in the in the third quarter. And I think he only took one more actual field goal attempt in that fourth quarter, but they wound up winning the game, closing out the series. You know, is, is this the year? I'm not sure. No, is this the year? Oh, is this the year that Phoenix gets another chance at the NBA Finals? Yeah. Uh whew. I I think if Devin Booker comes back, I just um I would not be surprised. I just it's tough for me because I gotta see that Golden State how Golden State is. Because if Golden State gets past Memphis, which we both feel like they probably will, right? But if it's mm-hmm. Golden State versus Phoenix. And I, I want to see what CP3 could do because he's going to be the X factor at all times. He's the X factor to me because he always, you know, he is. Woof. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think. Yeah, I would like to see them win it. I would like to see them win it. If I had to, if I had to make my pick, I'd go with Phoenix. I want to see um, Phoenix win it, you know, Former Nick coach, um, Monty Williams, you know, his story, you know, if he can get to the, if he can get past Luca and they can get past the winner of, you know, Golden State and Memphis, then if they get to the finals, yeah, I want, I want to see him win it. So, but I don't know. I don't know that, that, can they get to the finals, the NBA finals again? I, oh, that's going to be tough. I, I, see, it would be hard for me to like. I'm not a betting person, so I don't bet no money on that definitively because I got to see what Golden State look like. I'm not. 
when I ask that question, I don't want to make a decision. I'm just saying, like, I feel like from a opportunity perspective, this is the the last best chance that I can see going to trend next year. That's my thing. Oh, they're yeah, Chris, Chris Wall got left. Right. You know, they're only going to get better. They're doing this all without James Washington. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. they're just continually adding options to make them an even deadlier basketball team than what they already are. Now, can Phoenix, of course, continue to rise? You know, yes. Another leap as a, as a front line big man. Maybe Devin Booker takes another leap as, as one of the best perimeter scorers in the league. Maybe Mikhail Bridges has his most improved player season and he becomes an incredible offensive threat. All those things are possible. But the other side of that is that Chris Paul is turning 37. And I'm not saying that he can't continue to play. He, he signed to play until he's 40. So the way he plays his play style, I'm pretty sure he'll be able to pull it off and be efficient. Will he still be an upper echelon point guard? I don't know. But at the end of the day, with the way this team is constructed and how well they're playing now and where they've been, this is a team that's coming off of the NBA Finals. So I think if they're able to ascend and get to the NBA Finals again, this is the one they need to win. It would have been great if they had won the one last year, but this is the one they need to win if they get there. If they okay, don't because, get there, okay, because I feel like the window is... <laughs> well, also, not well also, not just that. They have to make that decision Yeah, because they did not extend him or offer him an yeah. extension that he yeah. wanted to sign. So I think the decision is made. You, you, you better pay that man. I don't know if you're going to be able to pay him exactly what he wants, but y'all better come to an understanding because what did you replace that with? If you say that you're not going to bring back DeAndre Ayton, you're definitely closing that window on competing. Well, that's what I mean. You DeAndre Ayton situation. So you, you, have, know, to, you, you have, have to win. You know, there's no DeAndre Ayton-like player that's going to, I mean, nah, man. None of the kids that I've seen in the draft are, are even close to what DeAndre Aiden has proven himself to be in the NBA. But um, on that note, we're going to go ahead and bring this episode of Round 1 Recap to a close. It's been our pleasure to resume broadcasting. We look forward to doing so. We'll probably get together after Game 1 of, you know, a couple of these series and continue to follow up. As always, we want to take this moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by joining us on any of the podcasts and platforms we're hosted on. You can follow us on social media at View from the Clutch on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. And you can also message us directly at viewfromtheclutch at gmail.com. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace.